Well, good afternoon, all. Beautiful Sabbath day. I sat out in the backyard a while this morning and listened to the birds and watched the grass grow. That's always pleasant and relaxing to do. A couple of announcements here. We have a card from uh, Libby Schaefer. Uh, as the word went around, uh, she was, I think it was just last weekend, having some serious pains down her left arm and uh, seemed to be a heart problem. Uh, so she did ask for prayers and we passed the word around. And this was written on 422, so it's it's uh, nearly, I guess, two weeks old now. Uh, but she was unable to sleep on her left side, too much pain down her arm. And uh, she went and had it checked out, and they think it might be nerves in her neck more than the heart. But who knows? You know, when you have symptoms of heart attack or something that seems to be what it might be, um, we ask, for prayer, who knows uh, what God might have, might not have done, and we can't uh, disallow that in any way. I'm reminded of something we went over in Scripture not long ago, where <clears throat> Peter was in prison, and they were all gathered to pray for Peter to get out of prison, and he came and knocked on the door, front gate anyway, and uh, they all laughed and says, "Oh." That can't be Peter. He's in jail. So, they didn't believe their own prayers, I guess. But God sprung him. And sometimes we get answers we might not even know about. So, who knows? Anyway, Libby was very appreciative of the prayers that went up for her. Uh, another thing I have noticed and have been asked recently to maybe comment on is, the speed at which we go about our business around here. Uh, you know, when you're old, you have a whole lot to do, and you have to hurry to get it done. Uh, when you're old, you don't have much to do, but you figure you better hurry, or you might not have time to get that done. So, uh, we need to be cognizant that, again, we have children around, uh, and animals can get out at times occasionally. <laughs> you know, the children get out in the road, sometimes they're not aware or they're not really realizing the danger that is there, so they don't know to get out of the way. And then when you have old men walking around, they're very aware of what danger can be, but they can't get out of the way. Uh, so, uh, we need to be cognizant of that uh, and try to keep our speed down. There were some years ago that wanted the speed limit to be 15, and uh, you can't walk that fast, but you might run that fast. So, I think that's probably a little lower than we need to proclaim as necessary, but a lot of residential areas across the country have a speed limit of 25, and uh, that seems to be a speed at which you can see somebody, recognize them, and uh, get on your brakes or get around them. But we've had two or three instances here, not, not uh, 
very far back <coughs> where a couple of people have nearly been hit by cars coming around the corner and getting over on the wrong side of the road and so on. So we need to be very, very careful and love our neighbor as ourselves uh, and be sure that we're cognizant that uh, somebody could get hurt. I know there's not a whole lot of traffic, but it only takes one, you know. So be, be aware of that. This is on a kind of a personal note. You know, I, I went around here for two or three weeks with my eyes all swelled up and puffy and this and that. And actually, as I was being anointed, I felt a subtle change. It just felt like it changed, and they got slowly better after that. But some of the things that people recommended uh, were helpful as far as the comfort and so on. But I thought I'd pass something along. Someone suggested onion juice. So uh, I diluted some onion juice and poured that in my eyes, and it seemed to help some. But somebody said that they came from a family with 15 kids, and when the kids would get their eyes all matted up or infected or whatever, uh, pour goat milk in them. And I thought, hmm, goat milk in your eyes. Worked beautifully. Uh, it settled things down. It made the uh, the tearing and the stinging go away. Uh, goat milk's good stuff. Uh, the things God made for us to use. Sometimes we don't know how to use, and we have to learn to use. Uh, somebody suggested getting some antihistamines and this and that, and that's very far from my operating world. I just don't go there. Uh, but goat milk? Oh, yeah. Went out and squeezed some myself and put it in my eyes, and hey, that worked pretty good. So, for what that's worth. We live in a very troubled world today. They are deliberately uh, burning and blowing up food-producing plants. I never used to hear of that. Maybe once every 10 or 15 years you'd hear about some explosion somewhere. Now it's every third or fourth day there's another food-producing plant going up. And they deliberately cut down the shipment of grains by hundreds of thousands of cars and millions of bushels of wheat and other grains. Uh, they started a war in the Ukraine on purpose to help further the globalist uh, plans and so on. And that shut off a, off a lot of fertilizer and food. And oil and gas is being limited and it's being coming down on Europe. And we know that Israel, the nations that comprise Israel, are going to be up against the whole world. And we know that the Bible says they're coming down with famine, pestilence, and war. So we live in a world where fear of man-made diseases like COVID and other things man is doing to us. And I find it very interesting that a lot of these scriptures I read when I was a kid about the things that would befall our nation are now coming. But when I read them 
all those decades ago, I thought it would be natural. And some of it is. But most of it is man-made or Satan through man-made. Even these droughts we're suffering now, probably most of them are the result of man-made weather. They're interfering with the weather. They brag about it. Our own government has pu published information about it. It's not conspiracy theory. This stuff is going on, and Satan wants to see every man, woman, and child on earth dead. Now, the globalist people only want 90% dead, they say. But Satan wants everybody dead because we are the creation and the children of God. And he does not want any of that to exist, whatever. He would like to see the earth totally destroyed and all life that God created on it destroyed with it. God says, woe to them that pollute the earth in Revelation. And yet we've polluted it and are polluting it on purpose. And Satan has in mind to use people to destroy it all. So I've come to the realization over time that it isn't just natural events that are bringing about what is happening to us, but it is planned and laid on us more and more and more. And they had an Agenda 20, and it didn't happen in time, so they moved it to Agenda 30, uh, hoping to have this all accomplished by 2030. And here we are in 2022, but I read something the other day that said uh, the people behind this uh, had a meeting and decided to try to speed it up as much as possible. And we've indeed been seeing things speeded up with arson and so on on food producing, uh, stopping shipping on purpose, and so on. And then we hear China, because of another attack of COVID, is shutting down. Uh, much of China is today currently shut down, and a lot of people have fences around their cities and can't get out. Coming here soon. So, I know I'm saying things here that uh, we are aware of and painfully aware of. What does Christ say in Matthew 24? He says here, Many shall come in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Verse 6, See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And then he goes on down and talks about war and famine and pestilence and earthquake in different places. And all the horrible things we see increasing about us. And yet he tells us, be not troubled. Now when you read of the things going on in the world, and you see them around you even, it's easy to become anxious, to become fearful, to become troubled, and your thoughts are difficult. So, it's easy to be worried. 
to be unduly concerned. And Christ knew that that would be our emotion, that that would be our tendency, is to become troubled and anxious over all these things. And yet he gives us very direct instruction here not to be troubled. Now, how do you not be troubled when there's trouble all around? When you see and experience, and this COVID thing, we've experienced some of it here, and some have suffered. One has died. And throughout the church, from what I've seen and heard, that's been happening to other groups as well, not just here. How do you not be troubled? Got to be some answer. Let's go through some scriptures today and get some words from God beyond what Christ said right here. Now, this is a very important one. You'll see all this turmoil, but don't be troubled. Well, are we? Do we get that way? Do we have those feelings sometimes? And if we do, why? What can be done about it? Let's go through some scriptures. I, I, could, I could go through a thousand scriptures very easily, so I won't cover that much today. Uh, but let's hit a few and see what God says and see if maybe we can find a little help for the things that trouble us and for the anxieties that sometimes come over us. Let's go back, first of all, to Isaiah 8. I've read this one and quoted it quite a bit, actually. But he does talk about how a confederacy or a conspiracy or a coalition of nations will come together. And he says in verse 12, well, in verse 10, he says, God is with us. And he's speaking of that time when Emmanuel will be here. In the verse 8, mentions the land of Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. We're very aware that Zechariah 2 and other places indicate Christ will be here when this gets really bad. Be here with us. God with us. Or Emmanuel. Verse 11, for the Eternal spoke thus to me with a strong hand. This was a strong message, not just a offhand comment. And instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people saying, say you're not a confederacy. A lot of people say, well, there isn't one. There's no conspiracy. There's nothing to worry about. We'll be okay. He says, don't you believe that? To all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy, neither fear you their fear, nor be afraid. So we have people in our country who say there's nothing to worry about. Uh, our government will take care of us. And then you have those who are very concerned and worried and prepping and uh, wondering what are we going to do about the conspiracy. And God does say that there is one. 
to destroy this country. Don't be afraid. Don't fear their fear. Same thing Christ told us in Matthew 24. Sanctify the eternal of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. So there's a shift here. A shift from worrying like the world worries, and put your fear and your concern and your dread in God. Those patriots out there who fear what is coming and know that it's coming don't really have an answer. Some of them say, find Jesus, or maybe the rapture will come, or whatever. Some of them have that view. But most of them are trying to figure out, what are we going to do about this? And they have no answer. Why? Because God said it's coming, and it's inexorable. It is coming, and it can't be stopped. There are some on the alternative news who think that maybe if we do what we need to do, it'll be stopped. But we know from Scripture, God has said it has gone so far that they will not repent. It will not be stopped. It is coming. It is here. It's just getting worse day by day. So we transfer our fear from the leaders of this world, from Satan, from the things that we see all around us, and put our fear in God. That's the beginning of wisdom, the Scripture says. Fear God, for this is the beginning of wisdom. Now, why fear Him? Well, He made it all. He's already said He's behind all that is happening. He's turned Satan loose to do it, just like He did with Job. And Satan is going to do this thing, and our population of this earth is going to be decimated to less than 90%. I think Daniel makes that clear when he says 100 million will be left to judge when Christ returns, out of 7.9 billion or whatever it is. So God's backing this up, and he says it is going to happen. It's not just Bill Gates' dream. It's going to happen. Now, there's only one protection. Because Satan and the rulers of this world want us all dead. They want God's creation totally destroyed. And God destroyed. And they're working on it. Every day. Now, who can prevent that? Christ even said, unless he touched time short, there'll be no flesh saved alive. None. Now that tells you right there in that one statement that Satan would destroy every last person. But God isn't going to let it happen. Now he can save us out of it. So, who should I fear? He who can say yea or nay, that's who I should fear. Yes, I will protect you. I will help you. Or, I won't, too bad. He is the one we should hold in great awe, respect, and fear. And that's what he tells us here. Let him be your fear, and he shall be for a sanctuary 
a stone of uh, but for uh, a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both houses of Israel. It's coming. God is going to be a snare and a gin on Israel because He's punishing us and He's using Satan and His minions to do most of the dirty work. But He's the one who can help. Verse 18, Behold, I and the children whom the Eternal has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Eternal of hosts which dwells in Mount Zion. So he tells you there that when he dwells with us, as Zechariah 2 says, it will be in Mount Zion. That's where this will occur. And he will be there to protect his people. to be a wall of fire around them. So who do I need to go to? Who do I need to fear? He who can protect. He who can help. Let's go through a few more quickly here. Isaiah 35. Uh... Verse 3, strengthen you the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees. If we get weak knees, weak arms, fear, anxiety, trouble, strengthen those. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, there will be those. We all will have fearful hearts from time to time. You read certain things and it just hits you. And it disturbs your day or your night. Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. And then he talks about the healings that will occur. So he says, if you're a fearful heart, don't be that way. Now, we know there's a transition in Isaiah 39 to 40 where Herbert Armstrong, who was in some ways a type of Hezekiah, came to his death, and those who were under him, his spiritual sons, have become eunuchs uh, out in Babylon and are unable to do any work of any uh, size or consequence. And then, though, he starts in Isaiah 40 with those who are left, who have a message. And what does he say? He starts out. The church has all come apart. Herbert Armstrong's sons are eunuchs. They can't do anything. But those who will be faithful, he says, comfort you, Comfort you, my people, says your God. Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received the eternal hands double for all her sins. And then he says to prepare a way in the wilderness for the Lord. Now that's how this whole section that goes on through to the end of the book, really, begins, because this is the beginning of the end-time work. And he says, speak comfortably, because I will take care of you. That's very encouraging. The question really remains, do we trust him? 
do we have faith that he indeed will take care of us? A little child, if he gets afraid, something scares him, comes running to daddy or mommy because they figure that there is protection, there is help. Those are the big people. And I can run, grab them by the knees, and I'll be okay. Because they have that simple childlike trust that their parents care about them. They love them. They want to protect them. They help them day in and day out to keep their fingers off the stove and whatever all the thousands of things that occur. So they have a childlike trust. And Christ tells us to become like little children, where we have that kind of trust. Now, there are other elements of childhood that aren't so hot that he didn't mention in that context, such as rebellion and disobedience and uh, all those attitudes that little children can have as well. He refers to those things in other places. But he had a point he was making. We're not to be like little children in every way. We should become adults. But the point was that the trust in God should be like a little child's trust in his parent. That kind of knowledge and knowing and conviction that he is there to take care of us. Will he find faith on earth when he returns? There will be very little. And it will be held by the very few. And those few are the ones who have come to know him, to love him, to trust him, that he will take care of. So that's what he's after. And we're going to read a lot of scriptures along these lines here fairly quickly if I don't get too bogged down to see some of the things that he says to you and me right now. These are in the prophecies. This one's in Isaiah 41, the next one. Verse 10. <coughs> Fear you not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. All they that were incensed against you shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing. And they that strive with you shall perish. Verse 14. Well, verse 13. I, the eternal your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not. I will help you, repeats it. Fear not, you worm Jacob, and you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Eternal, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And then he says he'll make us a sharp threshing machine. Not only will he protect us, he'll give us power. Now this is speaking to those who are preparing to build the temple and to build Jerusalem, and ultimately to preach the gospel around the world as a witness. That's whom he's talking to 
at the end of Worldwide into chapter 39 and the beginning of what is to come next. That's who he's specifically talking to here. Chapter 43, verse 5. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east, gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Same thing he says in Haggai. He will stir his remnant to come to do his work. This is whom he is speaking of here. The ones he'll gather to come. He tells them, fear not, I will take care of you. Uh, chapter 44, verse 2. Thus says the Eternal that made you and formed you from the womb, which will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Israel, or Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. I'll pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit on your seed and my blessing on your offspring. We can go on and on and on. He says these things. A multitude of times. Verse 8, Fear you not, neither be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? No, there is no God. I know not any. So he says, Don't be afraid. I have called you to be my witnesses. This isn't just the two that do the preaching to the world. This is the remnant that he's called, and that's the context here, from north, south, east, and west, that they are to be witnesses that he is God. And no one else on the earth wants to witness that he is God. And if they do, and they try it, they'll be killed. Except for those whom God specifically says he will protect. And that's this remnant we're speaking of, that we speak of constantly, really. Uh, chapter 51, here's an interesting one. This is in the Babylonians, the Assyrians coming to take over the nation. And down here, where am I going? 51. Seven, I want. Hearken to you, me, you that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear you not the reproach of men, neither be you afraid of their revilings. Now this is in the middle of this nation being torn apart by civil war and by the Assyrian the king of the north, coming against it. And he says, don't fear. You who have my law in your heart don't have to worry. There was another one in here I wanted to. I don't know if my eye will fall on it. Let's hear about whether there will be violence in the land ruler against ruler. Uh, oh, I'm in Isaiah. No wonder. I'm supposed to be in Jeremiah. This just wasn't working. 
Scripture bit. Jeremiah 51, verse 46, I was going to go to. Unless your heart thinks and you fear for the rumor that shall be heard in the land, we're going to hear rumors. We hear rumors of civil war. We hear rumors of our leaders thinking about killing each other. All that's going on right now as we sit here. A rumor shall both come one year, and after that in another year shall come a rumor, and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. Now what does he tell us up here? Just before that. Verse 45. My people, go you out of the midst of her, and deliver you every man his soul, from the fierce anger of the eternal. Now this is a warning similar to Lot there at Sodom and Gomorrah. Where he came and said, I am going to destroy. This is going to happen. Lot, get your wife and your family and get out of here because it's going down. Now Lot heeded and he left. But his wife whatever her thoughts were, looked back. She didn't want to leave or she had things there or whatever distracted her. And she hesitated on what God had said and looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. Now there is an example for us where he tells us in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination set up in the temple... Not to go back in your house. Don't think of anything here. Flee to Zion, to the mountains of Judea. Zion, it says in many places. Don't look back. Just go. So, he says don't fear, but then he gives us some instructions. And this is one of them. When you see this happening in your land, get out. Get away from it. Get out of the midst of her and deliver you every man his soul from the fierce anger that God is going to bring on the nation. Now, I could spend a whole sermon on that one verse because we go to Micah 4, which we heeded and came here a long time ago, where he says, when all this starts coming down, to flee to the wilderness, to get out of the city, because that's where the worst of it's going to hit. So you have Micah 4. you got Zephaniah 2, where he says that the decree of financial destruction that is going to take down the world economy, get out before that happens. He says, go out, get away from it, and be humble and be meek, and maybe God will deliver you out of it. So there's instruction there. This is all coming. Don't worry about it. Don't fear it. But remove yourself as far from it as you can. Isaiah 48. Let me turn back there briefly. There's a, a whole chapter there about uh, Babylon coming down and what Israel is to do. 
Verse 20, Go you forth of Babylon, flee you from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing declare you, tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth, say the Eternal has redeemed his servant Jacob. And they thirsted not, he took care of them in the desert, and so on. But we pick up from all these verses that we're to get away from the city, he says, go even to Babylon there in Micah 4. That's one some people in the church who've read some of these scriptures over the years have ignored. They read, read the ones that say, get out of Babylon. They say, well, the United States is Babylon today. Get out of the United States. So they go to other nations, mostly Gentile nations, thinking they'll be safe there. Anybody that's an Israelite or light-colored is going to be in trouble wherever they are. Because this is when the Gentiles are going to have their 42 months. And they hate Israel. And Satan hates Israel above all the other peoples. Now, he wants everybody destroyed, but his first target is the church, spiritual Israel. His second target is physical Israel. And then his third target is everybody else. or no flesh would be saved alive again. So he says, get out of Babylon and flee from this society, this culture. It's all coming down. Get out ahead of the Assyrian, because it says that there will be people trying to get to Zion there in Jeremiah 50. How do I get to Zion? Just ahead of the northern army. And then you have that one there in 51 that says, Get away from it. Get away from it. So, don't fear it. Fear God and do what He says. And maybe you'll be protected. If you stay there, no, it won't happen. God isn't going to put a little bubble around you and protect you somewhere if you don't do what He says to do. A few are taking heed. Look at Revelation 18.4. You think, the Old Testament's not quite good enough for you. Here he's talking about the destruction of Babylon, which I think modern America is very clearly defined as the leader of modern Babylon, uh, the world leader to this point. Now, Satan's whole system is Babylonian or confusion, and it covers the whole world, but the leaders of it are America. And we are going to be destroyed. That's what he's saying here. Babylon has fallen. Verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. So plagues are coming on our nation. Just like they came on Mithraim way back. And he says, come out of her. Don't be around. These other scriptures tell us where to go. Out into the wilderness near Zion. That's where you should go. So he doesn't say, fear not, without giving us some instruction on what it is that we ought to do and be where we ought to be. Uh, Jeremiah 30. Here, verse 10. 
Therefore, fear you not, O my servant Jacob, says the Eternal, neither be dismayed, O Israel. For lo, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. <coughs> now this is talking of the church first, and then later on, going into the millennium, the nation. But it's to the church first. And here it's talking in this whole context about Anatoth. I think God gave us that name on purpose, because it means... Uh, now the word won't come to me uh, the answer that's the answer to the question where do you go God established it in the original promised land where we are and he wanted us to come to the original promised land where the original Zion is where the original Jerusalem is and this is where he's going to build is in this area not right here, but in this area. Makes it very clear in many scriptures. If God's going to do a work, He wants His people where the work's to be done, obviously. And again, it never was done in the Middle East. Throughout Herbert Armstrong's entire ministry, nothing ever happened in the Middle East unless we hauled somebody over there to keep the feast or something like that. Uh, but there was never even a congregation there. Why did God not do His work in the original promised land? Well, He did. Nobody just knew where it was. It was here. Herbert Armstrong set up in southwestern U.S. And that's where Zion is. He never knew that, but he'll learn when he comes up. Don't fear it. Ezekiel 3. I just picked out a few here and there as I went through. Ezekiel 3. And here let's go to verse 9. Well, he's talking to Ezekiel here. Uh, verse 8. Behold, I've made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. Fear them not. Neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. Now, the things that I'm reading today are things that God has told us. And he said, receive them in your heart. Hear them. Don't let them pass over. Listen. Because this is an important message to us. That we're not to be anxious and troubled and fearful about the things going on in the world around us. We are to do our part and get away from it to the place where God tells us we should go. And then trust Him to take care of us. That's the whole point. And He says it over and over and over again through the prophecies and even 
uh, a lot in the New Testament. I don't have time to get to all of it. I'll get to some of it. Daniel 10. Here's a good example for us. Verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I am come for your words. Now, this was an angel coming to help deliver Daniel, but Satan got in the way. And since they were both cherubs, he couldn't get past him. And then he had to have the other cherub, two to one, come and help. Satan's demons and Satan still have great power. So that even one cherub of God cannot outfight Satan the devil. It, take, it took two. <coughs> but notice that God sent two. He took care of Daniel. Now, Daniel didn't get an answer right away. Not immediately, did he? Because there was a spiritual battle going on to get the message from God to him. And God let this go on for a while. He let Daniel wonder. He let him trust and wait. And then when God said, okay... I've tested Daniel enough on this. Go help. And two to one, Satan was defeated. The message got through to Daniel. So there's a lot going on we don't know about. That's okay. Because God is powerful and He is in charge. And if we call out on him, to Him, He hears us and He knows us. And He's going to send whatever help He decides to send however and whenever he decides to send it. And if he says, get out of the way, it's coming, then we need to hear and listen and get out of the way of what is coming. We're warned ahead of time. You know, it's like a weather report. There's tornadoes coming tonight. Go to the cellar. There's a hurricane coming in on the coast tomorrow. Do what you need to to protect yourself. <coughs> God does the same thing. Gives us a warning ahead of time. And then he, when Christ told us there in Matthew 24, this is going to happen. Don't be troubled. He says not to worry. It's all going to be okay. It's lack of faith to worry. Pure and simple. Worry, anxiety, feeling troubled, in fear, is lack of faith. Now, we need to fear God enough that we do what He says to do to get away from the trouble. But then He says, I will keep that trouble from catching up with you. So fear him, do what he says, and then he's got nothing to worry about. Do we have that kind of faith? And that's really what this sermon boils down to, is trust God. He loves you. 
He cares for you. He says He will never leave nor forsake you. So, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground that he doesn't know it. And no one who is a converted member of his church is overlooked. Period. So, what's to worry? Joel 2. Verse 21. Here he's talking directly to the church. At a time of trouble when nations are like insects, devouring everything in sight. Joel 2, verse 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Eternal will do great things. Be not afraid, you beasts of the field. Verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Eternal, for He's given you the former rain moderately, and He'll cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, in the latter rain in the first month, He's going to take care of us. Pure and simple. Zephaniah 3, just before you get to the book of Haggai. Zephaniah 3 and verse 16. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear you not, and to Zion... Let not your hands be slack. The eternal your God in the midst of you is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. Happy to save us. He will rest in his love. He will joy over you with singing. Then he talks about gathering them again. Right on down through the next three or four verses. He's got it. He knows what he's doing. It's all under control. He's told us what he's going to do, how he's going to do it. Then he goes into Haggai and starts talking about doing the gathering that we've already mentioned. Haggai 2, verse 5. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Mithraim, so my spirit remains among you. Fear you not. It's just a little while. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Under these circumstances, as this is coming about, fear you not. Zechariah 8. I'll pick it up in verse 13. <clears throat> It shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing to the world. The only blessing that the world will have is God's remnant who will be witnesses that He is God. And that's what this whole context is here in Haggai and Zechariah is about the two witnesses and the witnesses that are attached with them, that God is God. This isn't millennial. This is all before Christ returns. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Got a temple to build. Got Jerusalem to build. Got a work to carry out. It's going to be done under conditions wherein the world is coming apart 
and taken into captivity and people being killed by the billions. Don't fear. Be strong and work. Verse 15. So again have I thought in these days to do well to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear you not. Now, if this were millennial, there's nothing to fear because there's no war going on. And Christ is here ruling and there's peace. So this is prior to that when there are a lot of things to fear if you're of a mind to be afraid. He says, don't do that. Don't be troubled. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Some people, well, everybody varies. Some people worry, but they don't, can't think of anything to worry about at the moment. They just worry, worry, worry. Or we call them worry warts. They worry about everything. And, you know, it's been said 90% of the things we worry about never happen anyway. And I think that that's not really stated properly. 99% of the things or whatever that we worry about never occur. But people are prone to worry, to be concerned, to be frustrated, to be scared. All these negative emotions. Well, where is faith in that? Faith is lack of worry. Faith is not being concerned about what you see going around you because you know God will take care of you in every day and in every way. That's what he says over and over and over again. So what I'm saying today is attitude preparation. We need to be getting away from the fears of what is out there and is indeed going to happen. It's not a false concern. It's a true concern. It is coming. The Scriptures are so clear about it. The question is, what do we take as our position? The position we take is be strong, fear not, don't worry, God will take care of us. That's our position. Have some of us died? Will some more die, given time? Very possible. You know what? The ones who have died in the faith have no fear, they have no concern, they have no pain, they have no problems. They're safe in the hands of God. Once in a while there comes a day when I think, man, I'd almost rather be there than to deal with what we have to deal with day to day to day to day. I don't really, but that thought goes through the head every once in a while. And it went through the head of some of the prophets. It says, let me just go be with my fathers. Let me die and forget it all. But they got over that attitude. And we are to do so as well, because that's what Christ insists that we do. Let your hands be strong. Let's go to John in the New Testament. I'll hit a few here. John 14. 
go to verse 18. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that you may abide, that may, he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Uh, then on down in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, gives I to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Those were Christ's final instructions to his disciples before he went to die. Same thing he told us in Matthew 24 that I quoted at the beginning. Peace I leave with you. We should have peace of mind. That is the opposite of troubled and anxious and fearful. Peace of mind. Because we know these things. That's why I'm reading them to us today, is so that they are fresh in our mind, and we know what God tells us, and therefore we, what? We don't believe in. We don't trust Him. We don't believe He'll do what He says. Therefore, we're worried and anxious and concerned. I could have phrased that differently. I could have said we don't worry because we do trust Him and we know He's going to do the things He says He will do. The problem is we find ourselves betwixt and between. We have some faith, some trust, but not enough to keep us from worrying and being anxious and concerned. So here he tells us, I'll send peace, don't be troubled, don't be anxious. That's Jesus Christ's word to us. That's what he instructs us. To do. That's the attitude he wants us to have. And if we are not there yet, we need to get there. <coughs> we need to work on it. So that our fears get less and less and our trust gets stronger and stronger. This is a process. It isn't something that you either have or don't have. It's a process of learning. And life teaches us. So that by the time we're old, hopefully we've learned in a life of trials, troubles, tribulations, and difficulties that God is there for us. He doesn't forsake us or leave us. He'll take care of us. He wants us in His kingdom. He will joy and rejoice even over us being in a place of protection. That's what He wants. We just have to comply. We have to have the attitudes he tells us to have. So what I'm, I'm not here to condemn anybody because they still fear and are anxious or troubled. Just get over it. Just get over it. Work on it. When you start getting troubled by things you hear or read on the news, sit back and say, boy, that's true, that's coming. i got nothing to worry about. Because I'm obeying God, and he said, if I do, I'll be protected. It's that simple.
Second Timothy one seven. Second Timothy one verse seven. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. God's spirit is not a spirit of fear. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. God's spirit is not a spirit of fear. God does not fear. Jesus Christ does not fear. You know they have enemies. They have Satan and one-third of the angels who came and attacked their throne. And they repelled them, put them down, cast them out. And they're going to try it again. And he's going to do the same thing again. He has a sound mind. He doesn't fear. He's strong. And he wants us to have his spirit. Therefore... We can't have fear because it is not the spirit of fear. So if we do have fear, then we do not have enough of God's spirit. It's a very simple equation. But it isn't a spirit of fear. You're supposed to have a spirit and a mind of power. Let your hands be strong, remember we just read. And of love and of a sound mind. Let's follow that up with Romans 8, verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We go to our Father in heaven and don't fear. Because He is our Father, our Protector. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And he goes on and talks about the attitude that we should have. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Sometimes if we don't have everything we think we ought to have, then we are full of fear, concern, worry. For he has said, behold, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me. Could this be any clearer? <laughs> we have him. Don't fear what men will do to us. And then it says down in verse 8, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed his attitude about this. Been written a while, but still there. First John 4. Remember I told you you didn't have enough faith if you feared? Let's add something to that. First John 4, 
verse 18. There is no fear in love. Faith does not have fear, and love does not have fear. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. If you're fearful, you have a tormented mind. It is not a peaceful mind. It's a worried mind. What's that song? It takes a worried... How does it go? A worried man to have a... I forget, it doesn't matter. Fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. So if we're fearful, tormented, uh, all those negative emotions, then our love for God is not perfected. And our love for our fellow man is not as it should be as well. No fear in love. None. I've heard people say over the years, many different people, well, I just worry. I just worry about this, and I worry about that. Their whole mentality, it seems, is a worry, worried mind. They just worry about everything. Like I said earlier, if they can't, they worry if they can't think of anything to worry about. So if they have a minute of not worrying, then they get worried about that. Because they're fearful. And God does not like timid, fearful attitudes. He wants strong, powerful, believing, trusting attitudes who love Him and therefore, they, they love him enough that they know he loves them, so they have no fear. Perfect love casts out fear. It throws it out. If you tend to be fearful, and maybe not fearful all the time, some people just simply seem to be, and others don't worry a whole lot, and then some are like, what, me worry? Uh, never have a worry whatsoever, maybe, but uh, those are few, far between. But cast it out. If you sense the presence of demons, you ask God to cast them out. Satan will give us the spirit of fear and an unsound mind. God's spirit is of a sound mind, no fear, and utter trust in him. So if you find yourself somewhere in the middle ground of that, you work at getting rid of it. You do not accept fear. Do not accept anxiety and a troubled mind. It is not godly. It is ungodly. It is satanic. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of strength and power and a sound mind. A sound mind is an unworried mind. Maybe we need to focus on this so that we can do something about it. He said, hear it and put it in your heart. And one of those where he said, don't fear, that we read in the Old Testament. Don't let it overpower you. Don't let it affect your day. 
you know, I read a lot of those articles that are fearful to read. I mean, there's an awful lot of trouble coming, and you see it coming. And he says to watch the leaves on the trees and know it's coming. But then he instructs us on what our attitude is to be about it. And what I try to do is not get depressed about it, but say, oh, prophecy is indeed coming to pass. Another war broke out here. Yea, prophecy is coming. God is coming soon because these are the things that indicate it. So, I take the view to be encouraged when I hear bad news from all over the world. Because I know God's scriptures are being fulfilled. I know He's God. I know He said this is going to happen. And I see it happening and I say, thank God, your word is true. And all this is coming on our nation is indeed coming. And now I see it. And it's here. Thank God your kingdom is near. We pray thy kingdom come. Then we should see all the things that have to occur before it comes and be encouraged that it's on its way. And the quicker these things happen, the quicker it'll be here. Now, I don't want to see death and destruction and famine and people being killed and dying. Don't want to see it. But I know it's got to happen because the book says so. And therefore... Let's get on with it and get over it. Get past it. And let's do our part to get out of the middle of it so that we can be protected through it. Because God is there to take care of us. We've got nothing to worry about. I'm going to go on about three more. Let's go to Luke. Luke 8. Again, the very words of Christ are given here. Luke 8, verse 50. And Jesus said to him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Wait a minute, I'm in Luke 9. That won't work. Verse 49. While he yet spoke, there comes one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, your daughter is dead, trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, What? Fear not. Now, some of the worst news you can get is that your daughter or your son is dead. That is a horrifying thing to hear. Now, what was Christ's advice? Fear not. Believe only, and she shall be made whole. Now there is trust, there is faith, there is belief. He says, this is what you need to have. Absolute, total, unquestioned trust in your Father in heaven, and your prayers will be answered. Now this was a very dramatic case here. And he may have done this on purpose to teach us that we need not fear, but trust God. Now, these resurrections don't happen every day. And every time somebody hears their father, their son or their daughter is dead, it's generally true. And in 
day-to-day life, God doesn't do anything about it. It happens. But he wanted to make a point here. Now, where was I here? Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, except Peter, James, John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. He limits these things because of unbelief. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, don't cry, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. They went from tears to laughter, scornful laughter, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out. Apostles, father, mother, everybody got all disbelief, unbelief out because he had perfect faith in his father that if he summoned this girl back to life, his father would cause it to happen. But he said, believe, see? Belief, faith, trust, unabridged faith and trust. And he had to get everybody out who might have doubts. So he alone was there. took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her food. And her parents were astonished. I suspect that's uh, utterly astonished, might fit better. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. She died. He raised her back up. He says, don't go spreading this around. But I've given you an example of what absolute utter faith in God can do. If there's doubt, if there's fear, then God can't do the things that he could do otherwise because we limit him by our lack of belief, our our lack of trust. Let's go to one more, Matthew ten, twenty-eight. Verse twenty-seven: What I tell you in darkness, that speak you in light; and what you hear in the ear, that you preach upon the housetops. This is to his disciples that were to go out and preach. Now, they were to go without fear. They were to be strong. They were to be powerful. And he says, I'll tell it to you here in the dark, but don't you be afraid. You go out in the daylight and you say it. Isn't that what the witness is going to have to be here at the end? And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather, fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in the lake of fire. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father knowing it? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear you not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Believe it. 